Let's get nuts. What is happening, everybody? Where's the music? There it is. Make sure it's not too loud. Let's make sure it's not too loud like it was on Monday's stream. So how's it going, everybody? Welcome to Hump Ducky Live! It's hump day. It is September 6th. All right. How's everybody doing? Hope you're doing good. Uh, hopefully you're having a good hump day and, you know, you're not actually humping during this whole thing. But hey, do you or do whatever you're doing. But uh, yeah, you know, whatever. Hump day. Anyways, smash that like, thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Hit that notification bell so you know when I'm doing this stuff. And then, of course, if you want to become a member, join the Film Junkie family after every stream on Wednesday. Do a, a personal members-only stream. That's right. We do that. So click my brain a little bit more. If you want to uh, join that, of course, get the Patreon right there, too, if you want to support the channel. Like that and the various, of course, uh, shock mids that are around me. What is happening? All right. So people... Filing in right now. How we doing today? We got Ryan right there. Good to see you. We got Eric. What's what's happening, Mr. Patterson? As he says right there, Stow. And then we got Eric, Mr. Hardball right here. I mean, there are are stories of critics getting mad at RT scores for claiming a review is rotten, even though it was positive. Plus, I've long said the whole critical consensus statement is. Total hogwash, yes. We all took to Twitter and be like, I told everybody. It's like, man, we all collectively knew that there was fuckery happening. When did we not? What's going on, Mr. Fear Jason? Good to see you. We got Stephanie T right here. Gee, what a shock. I know, exactly. I know. It was pretty much like it, it was like to the point where like everybody was just going like, yeah, we already knew that this was actually a thing. Cortez, who here was surprised by this news nobody okay yeah pretty much hello there we got miss nighthawk here good to see you gorgeous good to see ya tony movie chappy d9 neil blanc camp fan how you doing hey dave just rewatched superman the movie with while man of steel is still my favorite superman movie but i will admit that this one definitely holds up despite some goofy moments but christopher is uh ama i guess you could say yeah yeah. What's going on, Fatty Gad? Nice to see you. So, let's see who else we got here. We got Droga right here. Good to see you, buddy. All right. So, we got everybody like filing in. So, if you want to, you know, want to get in a comment, get it in now because I'll be stopping pretty soon here as uh, we get into the show. So, turn off the music right there. Yeah. But yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. This article from Vulture talking about rotten tomatoes. And again, like I said, I hate tomatoes anyway. So, you know, <laughs> I don't hate them. Obviously, again, if you do something with it, I mean, it, it seems like to make a tomato good, you have to really do some. But then that, that, that could be for a lot of things. It's just I always find it weird that it's still labeled a fruit. Because it's like, really, when I think fruit, I think sweet, I think all, and like, I don't even know what's going on in tomato. It's a weird, it's just, a, it's a weird thing to me. But I know people like tomatoes, and I like tomato sauces, obviously pizza and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know why I'm getting into, like, 
in depth when it comes to an actual tomato. This is a website we're talking about here, right? But yeah, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Warner Brothers Discovery and Jazzy Pants making some decisions right now because of the strikes that are happening. And then, of course, uh, we're going to be talking about some, a DCAU movie uh, update. We're going to be doing that. And then, of course, Ahsoka Episode 4, which I just watched. So, hopefully, hey, we got darkness here. What's up, Dave? Can't stay, but just wanted to say hello as per usual. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's just dive right into it. Let's get right to the tweets. See what's going on in the Twitter world right here. The Twitter X world. I refuse to call it just X. Just saying, uh, yeah, I, I refuse. Refuse. Whoops. There we are. Now we're good. We're good. We're great. We're grand. And we're going to start off by the uh, by Ko, uh, Kaibar Art right here that made this uh, Christian Bale Batman Begins art. That looks really great because I will say that when it comes to the Dark Knight trilogy, I mean, essentially, there's only two costumes, of course. When it comes to the Dark Knight trilogy, but the, the Batman Begins costume is just it's fantastic. It's just he just looks way more menacing and just, uh, you know, but you understand why he got the other costume. It makes it it's more practical, but uh, this more like represents that Batman Begins Cal. That's right. Oh, we got a five. Hey, look at that. We got Jose right here. What's going on? Happy hump day. 32 months a member. There you go. Part of the family, even though his uh, his fucking baseball team can't stop winning. Well, actually, they've been on a kind of a losing streak right now, but so have the Giants. So it doesn't even matter. Um, anyways, uh, let's see. We got Bright Burns, 1985. Good to see you. Are you the real Batman? No, no. Then why do you dress up like him? There you go, Joker. <laughs> like it? Like that quote? Good quote right there. Thank you for the $5 super chat. Much appreciated. Helps the pirate ship out. And speaking of things in the water. <laughs> it's Aquaman in the Lost Trailer. That's what I'm going to start calling it. The Lost Movie. More like it. Are we ever going to get any kind of anything when it comes to Aquaman 2? Or is it just going to be like, I mean, come on. I mean, just even tease. Like a, the, the, you could just do a small tease with some narration with Jason Momoa. Something like that. Or um, narration from his mom. Have some Nicole Kidman or his father. I don't know. They could really kind of craft something when it comes to a teaser for Aquaman, just a little teaser. And you could just show water and just show water and then show him sitting on the throne. We've already seen that shot. That shot seems to be done, but no, still nothing. But again, we have merchandise. Spin Masters figures right here. So we have merchandise. <laughs> That's right. Even Amber Heard still got a figurine. Doesn't matter. I mean, she is Mira, right? So we got merchandise, more merchandise. Look at that. So we still got this. We got Black Manta and we got Warm right here. So you can get merchandise, but yet still no footage. Like I said, something, something. But again, it's like, it just it kind of makes you wonder. It's like how much money is actually going to be poured into the marketing for Aquaman 2? Probably not a lot. But if you would just put out like a 30 second tease with like a narration and something footage from the previous Aquaman and then a little bit of footage that is complete for the teaser it just seems like that would be the right approach as opposed to just 
you know, throwing the merchandise out there in the wild. But hey, that's eh, just me. I'm just a guy who runs a YouTube channel. I don't run a, a company like Mr. Uh, Zazzy Pants over there. So just kind of funny. Just kind of crazy. I don't know. What's going on, Ryan Anderson? Good to see you. I know. Great topic to discuss. What's going on, Game City Savior? Sweet. Good to see you guys. All right. And then we got this, uh, hey, you know, I'm always good. I'm always up for a good alien invasion, ab abduction type of movie. And apparently we got a movie called No One Will Save You. That's pretty blunt. That's going to be coming to Hulu on September 22nd. Here's the poster right here. No One Will Save You. It's always a house out in the middle of nowhere with trees around, right? Don't get a house out in the forest in the middle of nowhere because odds are aliens are going to abduct you and do things to your butt. Just saying, they're going to do things to your butt. Probably the front part, too, apparently. If you uh, listen to some people who've been abducted, apparently they they abstract things, you know, from just all your holes, apparently. So, yeah, just saying. That's 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 what my, uh, if I make an alien abduction movie, I'm going to call it, we're here for your holes. That's what I'm going to call it, you know. If they're going to say, like, no one will save you, I'm going to call it, we're here for your holes. So, there you go. That's the title of my movie that has to do with alien abduction. And yes, yes, there is a trailer and it looks pretty sweet. Looks pretty cool. Think I might check it. Look at the hands. Oh. Yes. I like it. And then show that ending scene. What the hell is that? Yeah, the VFX will look like shit. But hey, whatever. I'm I'm always down for a good, like, alien movie. You know? I like it. <sighs> oh, look at this. We got another $5 super chat. Thank you. Appreciate that. Aquaman is probably going to be like Wonder Woman 84, a far cry from the original. And I'm calling it right now. After the strike is done, Bond is cast. Hmm. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. That's an interesting theory there, Brightburns. And thank you again for the $5 super chat. Always much appreciated. So, yeah. Um, you might be right. I don't know. They might wait a little bit. But then, then again, they probably already are looking for uh, that new bond. And, uh, yeah. And anyways, guys, uh, I also tweeted this, uh, I think, yeah, last night. Or yesterday, I was just kind of like, because I kept seeing like, uh, I mean, it, sometimes when I'm looking at my Twitter feed, I'm going, are we in 2016 still? I mean, it's kind of funny because we're going to be talking about Rotten Tomatoes tonight and the manipulation that's been happening with that and the fact that the past decade, decade plus, is that people just keep using these Rotten Tomato scores. So naturally, when we think about, you know, Batman versus Superman and think about that Rotten Tomato score, that gets thrown around a lot when it comes to arguments. But at the same time, I'm like, seven years ago, that thing came out and we're still talking about it. And when somebody shits on it, who has a kind of a following, and I know for a fact that this person is monetized on Twitter. So I just go, you guys realize that they're doing this just to get the engagement because they know that they're going to trigger the fandom to dogpile, quote, tweet, respond, do all this stuff. And then the discourse going to be back and forth. And guess what? They get paid. Now we have to you know, realize that that is happening when it comes to Twitter. I've always said that if you're going to quote tweet someone's 
take and you want to give your take, screenshot the tweet and post that and just do that. Now you have more incentive to do that because some of these people are making money off of the engagement now. So you might want to do that instead. And yes, there's someone who did that and keeps, you know, that wanted to just trigger people and do this. And I'm just going like, are we back in 2016? I remember defending the absolute shit out of BVS in 2016 and into 2017 and whatever the hell. But at the same, but now I'm just like, I don't need to, I've said what I've said, but people are still, you know, having to do this. And I'm just like, Relax, guys. Relax. Okay? You like the movie? I like the movie. It's one of my favorite CBMs of all time. And but I don't but if I see somebody that has to shit on it and says something about it, I, I you know, I don't have to like chime in. Just don't chime in because guess what? That's what that person wants. So stop it. Stop it. Or just, like I said, just screenshot the tweet, then put out your take because I know we we as people addicted to social media, we can't help but just be like, I got to say what I got to say. I can't do it. I can't hold it back. Got to do it. Oi. But anyways, all right. Thanks, Elon, for ruining Twitter. Eh. I'm trying to get monetized on it. <laughs> I mean, because I want to post my content on there. So... Uh, and then yesterday was uh, Michael Keaton's birthday. That's right. His birthday was yesterday. Dude, 72 years old. Still sharp, still doing good. And here he is in his Batman, I guess you could say his Batman trilogy. Even though I, I, I would have preferred that his Batman trilogy consisted of a Batman Beyond movie. But sadly, not the case. But hey, take it or leave it. We still got... Him as Batman three times right there. So happy birthday to Mr. Michael Keaton. We got Phil Cho right here doing the Batman Noel costume, which is one of the best. Such an awesome costume. Uh, I always felt like uh, when it came to Matt Reeves, Batman and the Pattinson's Batsuit, um, you know, it's just like they kind of reference it pretty good. I thought I thought they like kind of did that. So. <sighs> Certain clown. Yeah, there you go. Damn it. Damn it, Dave. I know. Well, you know, got to take it or leave it. If you're commenting the fact that I'm like, well, if they're, if, they're, if uh, Twitter's going to be a site where that's going to, that's going to like uh, display, that you could display some content creation, then I'm going to do it. That's all. And then we got a poster for Eli Roth's Thanksgiving, which is going to be interesting because it's just funny how this started off as a fake trailer. For the, uh, of course, the Grindhouse movies. If you guys saw the Grindhouse movies when it came out, when it came to Death Proof and um, Planet, uh, what was it, Planet Terror from Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. If you actually went and saw the full experience of Grindhouse, you saw uh, little trailers that, that from other directors, and one of them was Thanksgiving. And uh, they turned it into an actual movie. I think they turned the werewolf one into a movie, too, when it came to uh, Rob Zombie. So there's the first poster for that. So that should be interesting. And then speaking of posters, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, I'm very much looking forward to this movie. It's a Martin Scorsese movie, but we got a Floating Heads poster for Killers of the Flower Moon. It's like, this is not a this is not a CBM, guys. Can we do a little better when it comes to the posters? Can we do a little better, please? 
But sadly, you know, this is what we got. We got some floating heads right here. And then what do I always gripe about, guys? What do I always gripe about when they show the names of the movie? And I get it. The names are supposed to be the top build and whatever. But it's just weird when you have three heads on the poster. And when you have the names underneath those heads, guess what? They're not the right names because obviously Lily Gladstone is on the far left. DiCaprio's in the middle and then <laughs> De Niro's on the far right. And it's just like, it's just weird <laughs> to me. It's like, fuck the whole build, the top billing and shit like that. Stop doing that. When you're making these posters, put the name of the person in order that they show up on the poster. Boy. <sighs> Frustrating, but what can you do? We got a beautiful uh, Rebel Moon gif right there from Snyderverse gift. Gifts, that's pretty cool. Yeah, this ain't happening. This ain't happening, guys. This is definitely not happening. This is what's funny. And uh, if Mr. Bob Iger thinks it's going to happen, it's like, dude, just fucking step down now. You got plenty of money. You paid yourself out. You got... You can, you know, we already know what you're making, just like all the other CEOs. And then we're all kind of wondering, like, why there's still things not happening when it comes to what the writers and the and SAG-AFTRA actually want. But when it comes to Bob Iger, it's like, dude, like, really? I mean, I mean, obviously, this is just a rumor. It's just a rumor. But this has been out there for a little bit. And I'm going to tell you what I've heard but let's read the tweet right here when it comes to the source from cnbc more than a dozen past and present disney execs believe bob Iger's desired end game is to stay as ceo for as long as possible and then sell the company to apple good luck bobby good luck can you tell i mean okay look where things are right now just look where things are when it comes to Disney, and yes, they have big IPs, but at the same time, that those IPs are not as strong as they once were because they put too much content out when it came to those IPs, so they're kind of suffering when it comes to that. Apple doesn't need any of those IPs. They don't need that. Now, they might, maybe, if something happens to Disney where things start really imploding, and there's like, you know, Disney all of a sudden puts a garage sale sign up and starts selling off certain IPs to different companies. Sure, they might get some of that, but Apple fully buying Disney? Don't see it happening. Don't see why they would want that because Apple, Apple's not really not suffering. Okay. Now they might have some streaming problems like all the other companies, but they still have Apple and Apple products that are on the other side of that. Just like Amazon still has Amazon on the other side of that. It's not like, you know, how much these companies worth are just about the streaming. No, they got other things too. So I really don't see this happening. And from what I gathered from conversations I've had, it's not going to happen where like Apple is just going to fully buy Disney. I would say get it out of your heads. But I would not be surprised if it gets really, really bad for Disney. They're going to start selling off things for sure but we'll see yeah they got parks exactly rj good to see you rj they got parks so it's like uh, i don't think they want to enter that market why would i yeah to me it's like why would apple want to like even like have some of that i don't know 
It just seems when it comes to um, when it comes to at least like uh, yeah the the digital space and the the content making space, I think they're okay from where they're at right now because. Let's face it. I think like when it when it comes to Apple, let's face it. I, a lot of people praise their series. I haven't seen all their series, but I've seen some and they're really good. They put quality content out there. So uh, I'm just saying like, woof. I don't see them like wanting to swallow up and having and just taking everything from, you know, Disney selling Disney. But yeah, that would be weird, too. I didn't even think about, you know, Disney World, Disney, Disneyland. Like I, it's like that'd, that'd be weird if you see like an apple. I mean, I, I mean, obviously you keep the name and you just sell all your. I mean, I guess they could utilize. You can imagine walking in the Disney and you see an Apple store. <laughs> you see an Apple store over there. Yeah, I just don't uh, don't see it. I just don't see it happening. Don't see it happening. Hey, what's going on, Carrie? After your Metallica concert, which song from the band Tool is your favorite? Random. <laughs> After the Metallica concert, which song from the band Tool is your favorite? Wouldn't you want to know my Metallica? Okay. But uh, um, Tool, I, you know, what's funny is they're actually going to be playing together uh, at the Power Trip Festival this month, which would be awesome to see both Tool and, uh, and Metallica together, like one after the other. That would be sweet. I've seen Tool once in concert. Um, you know, I mean... Enema is uh, one of their best, but uh, you know I like the Grudge from uh, the ins- what which I forgot what I forgot what that the the album was called, but the Grudge you know that's a good one. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the names. See, I guess I'm not as big of a fan as I as I thought I was, but it's all good. Anyways, all right, let's talk about this. Uh, Article that came out, Rotten Freaking Tomatoes. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk that the metrics for Rotten Tomatoes was uh, poorly thought out? I'm telling you, poorly thought out. I don't think any of us did. I think we've all seen that the fact when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes that it could be easily manipulated and turns out, guess what? Yes, it is, in fact, easily manipulated. Like, you know, when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes, and I know I've used Rotten Tomatoes when I talk about reviews, but I actually look at the reviews. A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people look at that number. And then of course, you know, they want to use that number to be like, all right, am I going to go see it? Am I not? It sucks that that's the case that they did this. They brought it all together and you just like, you get that percentage, which to me, I always said, that's not a good way to rate all this stuff. They also had it to the point too, where when it came to each individual critic giving their review and their percentage points when it came to that movie it was like down to the decimal and they gave it a rating like that it used to like really i think it used to be displayed on there i don't know if it is anymore but yeah it used to be like the average like rating full on so you can actually have more of a broken down one as opposed to just like well you know how many times how many times have i read a review and it sounds like they gave it a bad review, but it is a positive review. And then every time it sounds like a good review, but it's, it's, it's a bad review. It's, it's all just the, the way that it's all the way that they use that system has always just been a thing of just like, and eh, it's flat. And I wish they, I wish they would not throw up the uh, rotten tomato score after having like seven reviews. I always hate that. Can you have like at least 50? 
reviews before you start throwing that score up there because it's always funny when it's like, hey, look at you know, so it's a movie debuted at either 90% or 100% or debuted at 20%. And then you look, it's like there's fucking eight reviews. That's it. Stop saying that. So then you got that. So it's like you always have like a low number. And it's like you can't really gather what's happening until, you know, maybe get to the 50 review range. And then you could start doing your weird little, um, you know, I don't know, your freaking system right there, which everybody is like always like questioned, which we've all questioned. But uh, here we go right here. Oh, let me go ahead and uh, boop. All right. So here's the article in question right here from Vulture. The decomposition of Rotten Tomatoes. And then there's a quote right here. The most overrated metric in movies is erratic, reductive, and easily hacked. And yet has Hollywood in its grip. That's right. Got Hollywood by the balls. By the balls. Squeezing on the balls of Hollywood. Uh, let's just go over some of this right here. Some of the points right here. Won't go over the whole thing. I say, suggest you read it yourself in full, but we'll go over some of these paragraphs. In 2018, a movie public, uh, public, a movie publicity company called Bunker 15 took on a new project, Ophelia, a feminist retelling of Hamlet starring Daisy Ridley. I don't even remember this movie, really. I think I kind of do, but whatever. Critics who had seen early screenings had published 13 reviews, seven of them negative, which translated to a score of 36% on all important aggregation sites, Rotten Tomatoes. Again, 13 reviews, not enough to gauge. A disappointing outcome for the film with prestige aspirations and no domestic distributor. Distributive, sir. Yeah, said that wrong. But anyways, but just because the tomato meter says a title is rotten, scoring below 60%, it doesn't need to stay that way. Bunker 15 went to work while most film PR companies aim to get the attention of critics from top publications. Bunker 15 takes a more bottom up approach, recruiting obscure, often self published critics who are nevertheless part of the pool tracked by Rotten Tomatoes. In another break from standard practice, several critics say Bunker 15 pays them $50 or more for each review. These payments are not typically disclosed, and Rotten Tomatoes says it prohibits reviewing based on financial incentive. But did you not think that that was going to happen? I mean, of course that was going to happen. Of course that was going to happen especially since everybody looks at that damn score. Of course that was going to happen. In October that of that year, an employee of the company emailed a prospective reviewer about Ophelia. It's a Sundance film, and the feeling is that it's been treated a bit harshly by some critics. Well, I mean, that happens. I'm sure sky-high expectations were the culprit. Exactly. You can't... Boy... Not everything's going to be a winner, let's face it. So the teams involved feel like it would benefit from more input from different critics. More input from different critics is not very subtle code, and the prospective critic wrote back to ask what would happen if he hated the film. The Bunker 15 employee replied that, of course, journalists are free to write whatever they like, but that super nice ones, and there are more critics like this than I expected, often agreed not to publish bad reviews on their usual websites, but instead quarantine them on a smaller blog that Rotten Tomatoes never sees. 
Jeez, that's insane. So yeah, don't post it on the big publication if you didn't like the film. Post it on a small one or post it on your social media and no one's going to even look at that. If done right, the trick would help ensure the Rotten Tomatoes logged positive reviews, but not negative ones. Boy, so there's that manipulation already right there. Between October of 2018 and January of 2019, Rotten Tomatoes added eight reviews of Ophelia's score. Seven more favor were favorable, and most came from critics who have reviewed at least one other Bunker 15 movie. The writer of a, of a negative review says Bunker 15 lobbied them to change it. If the critic wanted to give it a barely overall positive, then I do know the editors at Rotten Tomatoes and can get it switched. So basically they're saying that the editors at Rotten Tomatoes can switch it up. You know, we've seen those positive reviews that sound that don't sound like positive reviews when you see it in the little box. You know, you kind of go like, wow, it sounds like this critic didn't really like the movie that much. But then you look at the bottom and guess what? It got pushed over to a positive freaking fresh tomato. Ew, it's crazy. All right, where was I? I also discovered another negative review of Ophelia from this period that was not counted by Rotten Tomatoes by a writer whose positive reviews of other Bunker 15 films have been recorded by the aggregator. Ophelia climbed, climbed the tomato meter to 62%, flipping from rotten to fresh. The next month, the distributor IFC Films, I love that, independent film channel films, um, that it had acquired Ophelia for release in the U.S. So it just kind of shows you right there that when they went to work and got some positive reviews, guess what? They got distribution. So again, it just kind of shows you, wow. That's not just the power of people wanting to go see a certain film when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes, but it also helped the movie get distribution. Pretty crazy. In a movie that apparently still didn't, nobody really knows or whatever the hell. Ophelia's production company, Covert Media, didn't return requests for comment. Bunker 15's founder, Daniel Harlow, says, wow, you are really reaching there and disagrees with the suggestion that his company buys reviews to skew Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, you really think the founder is going to be like, yeah, we do that shit. What are you talking about? Just common practice. That's what happens. I'm just trying to, you know, I just created the site. Who gives? Of course, he's going to say like, oh, yeah, you're reaching and whatever. We have thousands of writers in our distribution list. A small handful have set up a specific system where filmmakers can sponsor or pay to have their them review a film. Noted. The Ophelia Affair is a useful microcosm for understanding how Rotten Tomatoes, which turned 25 in August, I can't believe it's been around that long. Feels like it hasn't been around that long. Has come to fun function. The site was conceived in the early days of the web as a hot or not for movies. Now it can make or break them with implications for how films are perceived, released, marketed, and possibly even greenlit. The tomato meter may be the most important metric in entertainment, yet it's also erratic, reductive, and easily hacked. Ugh, I hate that freaking sentence. The to In 2023... Did I not think that I would be reading a sentence that says the tomato meter may be the most important metric in entertainment? Oh, good freaking God. Where are we? 
I did not want to have to read that ever. But here we are. Quote, the studios didn't invent Rotten Tomatoes and most of them don't like it, says filmmaker Paul Schrader. But the system is broken. Audiences are dumber. <laughs> he went after it. He went after it. Normal people don't go through reviews like they used to. Rotten Tomatoes is something the studios can game. So they do. Yes. Don't think this is the only studio. Let's face it. We're looking at you, Marvel. We're looking at you, Disney. You better believe that. Yeah, they would. I would not be surprised. Yes, of course they are. I'm sure Warner Brothers maybe has done something like that, too. Who knows? And then, of course, it talks about uh, Quentin Tarantino and his last movie that he's going to be doing. <sighs> and uh, talks a little bit more, compares it to Yelp and Goodreads and countless other review aggregators. Has desensitized us to the opinions of individual critics. Once upon a time, I like this right here because I remember watching Siskel and Ebert and then, of course, Ebert and Roper when it came to hearing about films, even though like whatever they said still didn't sway me from not wanting to see a film that I wanted to see, but it was different back then when it came to Siskel and Ebert. Once upon a time, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert turned the no-budget documentary Hoop Dreams into a phenomenon using only their thumbs, but critical power like that has been replaced by a collective voice of the masses. A third of U.S. adults say they check Rotten Tomatoes before going to the multiplex, and while movie ads used to tout out a blurbage from, like, Jeffrey Lyons or Peter Travers, Travers, now they're most likely to boast that film has been certified fresh. Oh, yeah, and they cannot wait to do that, too. Right. Once a movie gets certified fresh, you better believe that TV spot, that TV spot is saying that that night. But yeah, it used to be like the fact that you would actually see like critics, certain critics, critics that actually did this, who had shows, who had popular spots in the entertainment, you know, entertainment weekly or in the newspaper or something like that. It used to be like that. And they used to give good film critique. That's what they used to do. They used to give, it used to be great. It was a, it was an art form. Now it doesn't seem like it's art, an art form anymore. It just doesn't seem like that. Now you have to, yeah, you're just going by a fucking tomato meter, which is ridiculous. To filmmakers across the taste spectrum, Rotten Tomatoes is a scourge. Uh, Martin Scorsese says it reduces the director to content manufacturer, to content the manufacturer and the viewer to not, to an, unadventurous consumer. Brett Ratner has called it the destruction of our business, but insiders acknowledge that it has become a crucial arbiter. I mean, it has, which is interesting. Publicists say their jobs revolve around the site. That sucks. In the last 10 years, says one, it's become much more important as so many of the most trusted critics have retired without replacements. Studios are so scared of what the tomato meter might say that some work with a company called Screen Engine ASI, which attempts to forecast scores. According to the studios, the predictions are very close. So they have to actually, they're trying to, they're using another company and another system to predict the tomato meter. Crazy. 
I'll refer to the uh, informers who asked for anonymity, whatever, I always mess up that word, to speak candidly as publicists. NAS uh, numbers uh, one and two in an indie distribution executive says, I put in our original business plan that we should not do films that score less than 80, basically 80. Rotten Tomatoes is uh, the only public stamp of approval that says this is of immense quality and all the critics agree. Ooh, jeez, the formula. That's the formula. If a review straddles positive and negative, too bad. I read some reviews of the my own films where the writer might say that he doesn't think that I pull something off, but boy, is it interesting in the way I don't pull it off, says Schrader. This is coming from Schrader again. To me, that's a good review, but it would count as a negative on Rotten Tomatoes, which is good. It's like this critic actually said like, hey, he was trying to achieve this. It didn't work for me, but I was kind of interested on how he, where he was going with it. I've had those kind of reviews too, where it's like, I don't know what they were going for here, but I was intrigued, you know, getting in depth with the, the actual review right there. Let's see, scrolling down another problem and, and uh, where the trickery often begins is that Rotten Tomato scores are posted after a movie receives only a handful of reviews. This is what I was talking about. Sometimes as few as five. Even those reviews may be in an unrepresentative sample. This is sort of like a cable news network declaring an, an election night winner after a single county reports its results. Exactly. They should hold out until there's at least, what, 50? Maybe even more than that. I don't know. Hold out before you start fucking putting that goddamn percentage on the on the main page. Uh, so, yeah, and, and then it just goes into like the, the whole workings of all this stuff right here. And I'm not going to like dive too much into this. But, uh, you know, for me, it's just like. I mean, obviously, when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes and when it comes to fandom, let's face it, no matter what, I know I, you always see it. You always see it on Twitter. Where people go like, you know, fuck Rotten Tomatoes, fuck Rotten Tomatoes. But it's always used as ammunition, always, no matter what. Even the people who say that, you know, fuck Rotten Tomatoes, fuck it all, they still use it as ammunition, especially when it comes to like, you know, CBMs or like certain fandoms, because if you want a movie to fail, you will look at that score. And if it's a Rotten Tomato, you will throw that out there as you know a weapon just like the reverse like if it's a movie that you love and support and other people don't you'll use the rotten tomatoes the the, the positive the positive tomato as you know ammunition when it comes to fandom wars which is always ridiculous and uh i'm just like going just can we just read the actual reviews huh can we just read and take in the actual reviews which without actually caring about yeah, what the score is or what anything is. I just, I like to read the actual reviews because I'm hoping that there's going to be some details in there of why maybe you didn't like it, maybe you didn't, or you're like right in the middle because guess what? A critic can be in the middle and be like, I like this, didn't like that, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to the system that is Rotten Tomatoes, they can't measure that. It's either you liked it or you didn't, you know, that's it. And it sucks. When I have friends and I've had, I mean, I had, I had one friend in particular who would always look at Rotten Tomatoes. Anytime I was like, Hey man, you want to go uh, check out this movie? Oh no, it's a 54%. And I'm like, ah, that would always frustrate me. Always frustrate me. Ah, always frustrate me.
But you know who doesn't frustrate me, who is a friend, is Stephen Colbert. And there's stuff like this. There's stuff like this where, uh, you know, he wrote articles and he was posting all this stuff today, too. Stuff like this. Because not even, you know, we always have that uh, that audience score. That's always, you know, a lot of people want to look at that audience score. But that also can be fucked with. Rotten Tomatoes audience scores are only getting worse. And there's an obvious reason. Rotten Tomatoes audience score system data was broken in 2020. 10 and the fixes implemented since then have only made things worse. Rotten Tomatoes audience score is broken and it's only getting worse. Rotten Tomatoes audience review system has always had far more problems than its critic review system, but some important data about audience reviews reveals just how broken the system is. While Rotten Tomatoes has made some changes to the data and the way it's displayed over the years, most of these changes have only made the data even more unusable. And I've talked to Steven about this and Obviously, we know that Steven is a numbers man. He's an analytics man, and he was breaking it down and looking at the actual data. And it's and he he was telling about it. Sometimes you just I'm like, well, I don't even understand what's going on because yeah, it's pretty crazy. But and then of course, I always a lot of us were just like, yeah, don't look at the at the at the rotten you know the the critics rating. We'll look at the audience. But again, that could be fucked with too. We've seen that where people just start you know review bombing movies to just like drop it down or whatever the heck. So yeah. So it even says it right there too. The audience review uh, system on Rotten Tomatoes has always been criticized due to its vulnerability to review bombing, brigading, and the perception of the greater bias among audiences than with professional critics. While the differences in the quality of critic reviews and audience reviews can be seen as subjective as a subjective debate, some very clear issues with the uh, quality of the audience review data and its presentation diminish the value of user-driven reviews. It's all gross. It's all sucks. It's all whatever. Just go watch a movie if you want to go watch a movie. That's all you got to do. It's all you got to do. But we're here. We're in a digital simulation, maybe. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. But uh, yeah, it's like, just go see a movie if you want to go see a movie. Don't, don't you, don't use, if you're going to use Rotten Tomatoes, read the actual reviews. That's what I try to do. I try to do that. And I know like when I uh, do reviews for a movie, like a movie, maybe a bigger movie that's coming up, I use, utilize Rotten Tomatoes. And I know some people don't like that, but I actually try to read the reviews. I don't really want to look at this, the, the damn, you know, percentage and then whether it's a fresh tomato or not and it's kind of funny too because now when it comes to this article right here you better believe that fans and fandoms are just going to be like when their movie the movie that they love so much or they're hyped for or something like that doesn't get a good review they're going to be like well it's rigged it's rigged it's because you know and i'm kind of wondering about that too because this just talks about manipulation when it comes to making positive reviews i'm wondering what kind of manipulation there is when it comes to negative reviews that's also a kind of like interesting thing is like how many times has there been some fuckery where uh a rallying studio you know maybe can manipulate some of these critics to give a negative review on something but that's the thing it's like we're not gonna ever know but obviously being fans and i already saw this too i you know and it's kind of funny because i talked about bvs earlier and i was telling people like yeah if somebody shits on it you don't need to defend it 
just, you know, we defended it way back when it's perfectly fine. We got the Snyder cut. We got all this, you know, people are going to BVS and looking at it like, Hey, guess what? This movie is not as bad as I thought, especially when they watch the ultimate edition. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Could there have been fuckery out there? Absolutely. But I think mainly there's just like biased fans, but at the same time, what also happens too, it's not just rotten tomatoes that gets that the manipulation happens. Look at when you see like, influencers or people who run the video sites of a big website. I mean, pick your sites. There are people that get sent goodie bags and prizes and they get uh, toys, they get statues, they get expensive stuff. And you better believe that they, you know, they get the studio to pay for their flight to go to the premiere or something like that. You better believe there's some manipulation going on in there. That's what I always worried about. And maybe I just didn't really care to, I didn't care to try to, you know, try to be that. I don't know. It's just like a weird thing because I'll see that on Twitter or see that on social media, see that in videos where you have like these, they're, they're unboxing like these expensive toys from the certain thing. So naturally it's like, yeah, maybe they're not going to give their true review. You know, there's a lot of that that happens out there. You know, I've been sent stuff, but not from studios, thankfully, <laughs> you know, and I, and it's just kind of like a weird thing because you better believe that if a studio is like, hey, here you go. You got this. You want to come to this? You want to come to this junket? We got you. We're doing this. That you're going to be like, well, I guess, you know, if I don't really like it, I'll still try to give a positive review, you know. And then, of course, we have our own bias. I mean, you can go back to my original Justice League first reaction and even my review. I, You know, my own bias took over because I didn't want to be I didn't want to shit on it right away. Of course, a week later, then I started going, wait a minute, some fuckery happened here. But at first, I was trying to be as positive as possible. It's all, all just a weird thing. The moral of the story is, go see a movie that you want to fucking see. <laughs> That's it. The trailer grabs you. It sounds interesting. You read the synopsis. You like an actor. You like a director that's in there. Go see the fucking movie. Just go see it. Okay, and when it comes to fandom, stop using it for ammunition, you know, if you don't like Rotten Tomatoes, just don't even utilize it. Don't even respond to people who utilize it as a weapon. Just stop. Just stop. That's what it's all about. Just stop doing that. <sighs> so, yeah, read that article, too. And read Stephen's article. Follow Stephen Colbert. Like I said, he's broken shit down, too, more detailed when it comes to all this. What are you guys saying? The ticket prices, though, Dave. Exactly. Look at how... Packed a four. Yeah, exactly. So ticket prices also have an impact. But if you like want, if, if everybody's going to be agreeing to, you know, whatever movie. And that's why I even said it. Didn't I say that like a couple of weeks ago or last week or something like that? Somebody asked like, you know, obviously when it came to happy, you know, when it came to cinema day and they had like $4 tickets and the, the, the theaters were packed. Well, first off, the big theater chains should do that more often. Or they should have their big luxury amusement park types theaters that have the reclined seats, the bar, the daycare, the food service, have all that. Sure. But then, hey, open up some smaller theaters that just are straight up. Go watch the movie, get some popcorn, and that's it. So things can be cheap. That was always my idea is like, okay, AMC, you can have your big theater chains. Same with Harkins, same with Cinemark and all that shit. But open some small ones. Small ones that are just, you know, cheap tickets, cheap everything, and just do it like that. I don't know. Maybe that's not the solution. I'm just putting it out there. 
Anyways, Joker exceeded my expectations. Okay, I just watched the trailer to see how it's going to uh, be in the movie. Never Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. The whole damn thing is manipulated simulation. That's what it is. Kevin Feige is trying, well, I miss that, is trying to take over Hollywood. I warned everyone. I don't think he is. I think that motherfucker is going to retire soon, to be honest. And it's not Kevin Feige, too, Droga. You got to go up further than that. It's fucking Iger and all those guys. I, I think Feige might just be like, you know what? I'm done. And then just is going to walk away. <sighs> amen, amen, amen. I wasn't told reading was a requirement. <laughs> I remember my local San Jose Mercury News reviewer back. Yeah, exactly. You got to pick. I mean, I remember. Yeah, I was always looking forward to, to what. Uh, I mean, I was a little. I, I didn't start watching Siskel and Ebert to the, the very end of, of Siskel, you know, because obviously he passed away. Uh, but then, you know, it was uh, Roger Ebert and uh, Richard Roper for a bit there. And then it was just Roper. And, you know, I was kind of like, I dug that. And yeah, sometimes I'm like, and then it, when it came to YouTube reviewers, it was just certain guys, you know, your Chris Stuckman's, your Jeremy Johns, um, you know, the Schmoes know all the, I mean, I, I, you just find your certain reviewers, but it was never like, it never manipulated me to not see a movie. Well, I, I love movies. It never manipulated me to be like, oh, well, they didn't like it. So I'm not going to go see it. I would still go see it. To, you know, because I, obviously I know I'm not going to feel always like how they are most of the time. Sure. And that's why you pick certain critics, especially like on YouTube and whatnot. Hey, you might find certain critics. I want to know what you have to say about that. Hopefully I can I provide that for you guys when it comes to at least film reviews. But I don't I still don't. Anytime I give a review for a movie. I don't go like, fuck this movie. Don't see it. It's shit. It sucks. I always try to be like, okay, if I didn't like this, who is this for? Oh, maybe it's for this. You know, I didn't really like the little mermaid, but maybe people who actually really liked the actual little mermaid because I wasn't a Disney cartoon kid. Maybe they'll like it because it seems like they kept certain things in there, but you know, I always try to be like, who is this for? It wasn't for me. Maybe it's for this person right here. And then, of course, when it's a movie I love, I'll rave about it and be like, yes, yes, yes. You know, and I don't know. I try to just kind of do it like that. I try to figure out, like, who is this movie for? And I wish more critics would be like that. I mean, sadly, there's a lot of personalities out there that just want to shit on something and, and want to tell you not to go see it. Don't support it. Don't do this. And I'm just kind of going like, that's not the way to go in my eyes. To me, I'm like, I'm always trying to be like, wasn't for me. Maybe it's for you and maybe it's for this or something like that. Ah, uh, so yeah, yeah, it's all crazy, but read that, read, uh, Steven's, um, break breakdowns of all that stuff, you know, just do all that. I mean, and again, it's like, no one's making you want to, no one's making you see these movies. No one's telling you, you know, no one there, these guys are getting manipulated, of course, and you got to worry about that and that's totally fine. But just, you know, we just got to think for ourselves. That's what we got to do. All right. Warner Brothers, Zazzy Pants. <coughs> uh oh. Oh, things aren't looking too good when it comes to Warner Brothers. Man, is this strike real? I mean, it's hurting all the all the companies. It's even hurting the uh the uh California economy because obviously Hollywood's here and studios are here. And yes, the California economy is uh, well, it was already in the shitter, and now it's just it's 
it's Sid the shitter and more shit is coming on top of it. You know, let's just face it more shit on top and it's just going down because, well, what, what, what can you do? But, um, yeah, pretty much, uh, some things have happened when it comes to them trying to save some money and the fact that they are losing on a bunch of money. I mean, first off, we got David Zaslav, one of his solutions when it comes to this, which is, uh, it's pretty funny. Um, Here's it is right here when it comes to THR. Zaslav says content companies are talking about building new bundles. Yes, they're going to back to the bundles. I mean, we've already seen the bundles thing happening. It's like it's like when you have a cable service and you get a bundle of channels and you have like 276 channels and you watch fucking six. You watch six of them, right? You get the bundles you watch like a small portion and you're like, Jesus Christ, I, I don't need to watch a rabbit's flock frolic channel. I don't need to watch that. That's not for me. I don't need to watch the eagle. That's like, you know, been sitting by his nest, shaking his head for the last six hours. I don't need to watch stuff like that. The Warner Brothers Discovery CEO also addressed the ongoing writer and actor strikes and the Disney charter dispute. It feels like this is a moment. Is it really? So Zaslav speaking with Goldman Sachs conference Wednesday, the executive said that his company has had discussions with other companies in the content space about developing new bundles to create a better consumer experience. Those conversations have picked up in the last few months. You know, as we talk to consumers, they find it difficult. And so I think one of the things that we're going to see is as we look into the future is bundling. Some of this disrupt dis, this disruption and some of these moments of what's ha going to happen may activate a quicker transition to things like some of us in the content business bundling together as a way to create more value and create a better consumer experience. What? What? Man, you get a Disney bundle. Can you imagine getting a Disney bundle and a Warner Brothers bundle all at the same time? Bum, bum, ba, dum, Look at that. Warner Brothers Discovery says ongoing strikes will mean 300 million to 500 million hit in 2023 earnings. The company now expects to exceed 1.7 billion in free cash flow for the third quarter of 2023, in part due to the strong performance of Barbie, as well as incremental impact from strike related factors, the entertainment giant says in a regulatory filing. Warner Brothers Discovery has lowered its 2023 adjusted earnings before interest taxes, you know, and all that stuff, all the blah, 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 forecast of 10.5 billion to 11 billion, a hit of 300 million to 500 million is, uh, you know, obviously due to the strikes compared with the previous previously targeted low end of 11 billion to 11.5 billion. In the filing Tuesday, the company, led by CEO Mr. Zazzy Pants, who has been very engaged in negotiating with Hollywood unions to end the work stoppage, didn't detail when it expects the strikes could end, but updated its guidance that had previously assumed they would be resolved by early September, as management and mentioned that had mentioned during the second quarter earnings conference call. Yeah, they were hoping it was all going to be done by now and everybody's going to go back to work. Not happening. Uncertainty in the studio segment has increased with dual strikes. This is from Gunnar Wiedenfels. 
had said back then, this may have implications for the timing and performance of the remainder of the film's slate, as well as our ability to produce and deliver content. And while we are hoping for a fast resolution, our modeling assumes to a, a return to work date in early September. That's what was said. And guess what? Not really happening. While WBD is hopeful that these strikes will be resolved soon, it cannot predict when the strikes will ultimately end. With both guilds still on strike today, the company now assumes the financial impact to WBD of these strikes will persist through the end of 2023. Yikes, 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 yikes. Pay your fucking people. Pay your people. I mean, it's not just that, because I know I see those around on, t- uh, on Twitter that it's not just like, okay, yeah, it's like pay them. But at the same time, there's also the, the there's so many other more logistics and demands when it comes to all that. Hopefully it gets resolved soon, soon. But guess what? You know, when it comes to WBD and Zazzy Pants, just don't be surprised if Zazzy Pants gets a freaking boot by the end of the year. Okay. His job ain't safe. Nobody's job is safe. Zazzy Pants or anybody underneath them, they, they ain't safe when it comes to all this. And then, of course, when if things get really bad, just like I was saying when it came to Disney and not fully selling to Apple, but they might start just like open up the garage and be like, you know, who wants it? Who wants this? Who wants that? They're going to start like throwing, you know, hey, you could buy that. You could buy this. And you, yeah, and Apple and Amazon might swallow up some of the, the big IPs, but they're not going to swallow up the entire company because they're all in debt. They don't want the debt. They don't want the debt. They don't want the debt. <sighs> Cable's dying because we don't have an opinion of picking. Yeah. But the apparently the cable model, they still think that, that, that they could still utilize that model when it comes to things. I don't know. It seems like uh, they should have just had, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the solution can be. I mean, everything's just out of control and and the streaming stuff just got all crazy and stuff. That's all. Fire them all. There you go. Fire them all. No, gun ain't safe. Nobody's safe. What are you talking about? Nobody is ever safe in this business, especially the way things are right now. Oh, yeah. And then speaking of this, I almost forgot this because this article came out just before I was going live. I got to bring up this article right here because, well, it's a doozy. It's definitely a doozy when it comes to uh, Warner Brothers and what they're doing. Warner Brothers Television suspends top overall deals with Greg Berlanti, Bill Lawrence, Mindy Kaling, and more. Oh, here we go. More and more uh, bad news. More than three months into the writer's strike, Warner Brothers Television has moved in to suspend the remaining overall deals with some of its top creators. The list includes Greg Berlanti, Bill Lawrence, John Wells, and Mindy Kaling. Sources said. I hear the calls were made last night. J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot also in the process of being notified and Chuck Lorre's Pact has been previously suspended, I hear. Yeah, remember how, you know, Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams got bought by Warner Brothers and not a fucking thing has come out of that? The development comes exactly three months after WB TV and other studios started sending out letters to writer-producers under overall and first-look agreements who don't have series in productions or post-production, informing them that their deals are suspended. Oh, boy. 
It is understood that at the time, WBTV did not suspend some of its top talent, especially those who had active projects. That is happening now. <laughs> it's so bad. It's all so bad. What can you do? I mean, things just got really fucked up in the past few years. It really did, you know? We were not ready for this digital world. We weren't. When it came to all this, we weren't ready for the digital world. When it comes to Rotten Tomatoes, when it comes to streaming and all this stuff, we just weren't ready for it. We weren't ready for it. Berlanti, CW, I don't know if there's more projects coming out right there. What's going on, Ted? Good to see you. It's all crazy, but we're going to talk, well, you know, we're going to talk something else, Warner Brothers, right now. We're going to talk about the DCAU, right? We're calling it that, the DCAU. Well, that's still happening right now. And uh, when it comes to the Tomorrowverse, I have yet to see anything from the, the Tomorrowverse. I have not watched it. One of these days, I will go down that uh, rabbit hole and watch all the Tomorrowverse uh, animated features, which uh, I just have, I've just been putting it off. I keep forgetting about it. Seen mixed reviews when it comes to Twitter and come to uh, some of my friends that have reviewed this stuff. I've talked, we've talked about it on the Vodka stream and everything. And they've said that they've had, you know, they've been displeased, displeased with when, when it comes to certain projects and when it comes where the Tomorrowverse is going. But uh, yes, I have yet to watch any of them, but I will, one of these days, you know, I'll binge because I do, you know, I, I want to check it out. Why not? But according to, uh, we got some new, uh, things that are, uh, out there right now. We're going to go to, uh, the direct right here for, for DCU stuff. Here we go. Warner Brothers reportedly developing new Justice League movie trilogy. That's right. When it comes to the crisis on infinite earths, we've already heard that they announced it at what? I think it was Comic-Con. But apparently it's going to be a trilogy because, yes, that is a huge story. You cannot fit it into a movie that's an hour and 10 minutes long. You can't do that. The collection of animated DC superhero movies known as the Tomorrowverse has much in store in the coming years as the series embarks on new Justice League, on the new Justice League event. Many DC fans might not be aware that Warner Brothers has produced several animated films set in their own continuity, separate from the live-action DC offerings. The animated universe uh, was rebooted in the 2020s, uh, of course, Superman, Man of Tomorrow, and then, of course, it's had some other ones. And even though James Gunn and Peter Saffron are ushering in a fresh new era of DC content, the co-CEOs have stated that certain out-of-continuity shows and movies will remain in production under the DC Elseworlds banner, including the Tomorrowverse. Hot on the heels of this year's Justice League War World, which I heard mainly negative reviews on, a follow-up on the announcement, of course, blah, 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 the uh, crisis. But it isn't all. According to the website of Mike Milo, the animation director on this Justice League animation project, the movie is actually part of a crisis trilogy. I like spelled with why yeah so basically saying that yes it's not going to just be um one movie or two movies it's going to be three which that does make sense kind of makes you one or two what else is going to be in that what else is going to be in that i gotta catch up before i guess that comes out i think i got some time but yeah i'll definitely catch up so there you go at least something's moving forward that you know that's might be okay, but it seems like it's rushed to there because the Tomorrowverse just started, what, 
three years ago. And now they're already like, hey, crisis, let's go to crisis already. Walter Hamada working on this shit? I don't don't know. But hey, what can he do? That's that's what's happening in the DCAU right there. DCAU update. Slow news day, guys. It was slow news day when I saw that. I was like, all right, might as well talk about that. But then we got Ahsoka. Ooh, Ahsoka. I will say this. I was noticing it today when it came to uh, when it came to Ahsoka and it came to, well, Rosario Dawson. She's got some great shoulders. Am I right? She got some great shoulders, man. When she's holding that lightsaber and she's got the no sleeve action happening, she's not wearing her cloak or whatever. She's got the freaking guns out, man. She's got some good shoulders. I just I'm just going to say I just wanted to say that, you know, good on Rosario Dawson with the shoulders, you know, I mean. It's not like what I, when it comes to an attractive lady, it's not like I'm looking like, hey, look at those shoulders. I'm just saying sometimes, you know, I'm, all right. I'm just, I just wanted to put that out there anyways. When it comes to episode four, <laughs> when it comes to episode four, um, probably one of the better ones when it comes to this whole series, because there's some good lightsaber fights. Again, Ray Stevenson, right? If I'm saying his name right. Um played a pretty uh, big part when it came to this. And again, trying to wonder where the story is going. And, you know, it's funny too, because there seems, there's a lot of filler when it comes to this um, series. And you you better believe that someone's going to do what they did with Obi-Wan. And if you haven't seen it yet, do yourself a favor and watch the Obi-Wan cuts that's cut into like the runtime of a movie. It's better because there's not a lot of filler in there. So you can get rid of that filler. And then, of course, but I get it. It's a series. You want to do that. And then, of course, the way that it ends. And spoiler alert, I'm sure you've already seen it. There's already a fucking poster, apparently. But yes, Anakin was going to show up. And he does. But I thought it was going to be in a flashback sense. But it's in a different way, which I'm not too familiar with. But I know people were talking about it, about like this in-between worlds thing. And I'm like, all right, that's an interesting concept. I saw people talk about multiverse as well. And it's like, don't, don't, don't bring the multiverse concept into Star Wars. You don't need to do that. Let's not do that. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up doing that. But yeah. So, I mean, we all knew it was going to happen. We all knew. We all knew it was going to happen. That Anakin was, I just figured it was going to be more of a flashback, but it's going to be interesting how they do it. And then, of course, why it, it, does, it didn't look, it, he looked weird. He had a weird lighting on his face. I don't like, what? It's like, I'm still going to see it to the end, but it's just like, yeah, again, it's like, I'm just kind of going like, just like how Secret Invasion should have been a movie. feels like this should have been a movie too. And they just keep on taking these stories and like, unless you can really do a good job of filling, you know, six to eight episodes, don't do it. Just, you know, when it, when it feels like you're just trying to put things in the middle in there to, 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 to make that, to make it go longer. It's just, I don't know. To me, I'm like, eh, whatever. But anyways, there you go. That's all I got to say about that. All right, let's get some questions. How are we feeling? Are you guys like, uh, you guys don't really care about Ahsoka so much? Yeah, I didn't even really think about that, Ryan. Faded out the... Yeah. And then I'm kind of wondering, because a lot of people are kind of wondering, too, is like, are we going to see an Anakin Darth Vader fight? Because of like this weird, crazy concept of like, like there's this Jedi in between world. I don't know, which is an interesting concept. And I wouldn't be surprised we're going to have a like, because there was mention of Vader and then 
we get Anakin and it's like, oh yeah, what if there's like some kind of craziness that happens and some people are actually predicting that it might happen is if you have like an Anakin and Darth Vader fight in this like in-between thing. So I'm like, eh, that could be intriguing. That could be very much intriguing when it comes to that. So we'll see. We shall see. All right, let's go ahead and uh, let's go to some questions, some Twitter questions here. All right. Here we go. Get it in there. All right. Uh, Eric Blake, I'm with you, Dave. That the Apple buys uh, Disney ideas BS, especially since it was a few years ago where Disney was on top. May take it a bit. Uh, may take a bit to get back, but all Iger's successor needs to do is kick off with an olive branch to Florida to put things back on the right track. No, yeah, could be something with that. I know there's always been something when it comes to Disney in Florida. Adrian, with the whole DC reboot, I believe there was always bound to be a ton of controversy with or without conclusion of the DCEU. What do you think, Dave? Of course. Of course it wasn't, you know? I mean, unresolved cameos, unresolved storylines. Yeah, there's always going to be controversy. But, you know, they just didn't have, they never had a clear vision. And if they just would have let the man cook, Mr. Snyder, it would have been, it would have had a reboot built in the actual storyline. Asire, hey Dave, do you believe that studios should consider legal action against uh, Rotten Tomatoes or the PR firms and their clients involved in this? Absolutely. Sue the shit. And if any fucking critic took money to give a positive review or even a negative one, but obviously we're talking more about the positive reviews, they should be fucking fired. You know about uh, Marvel shareholders suing the studio for uh, misrepresenting their losses? All the Marvel versus DC, Alita versus Cap, Marvel, Collider, Softball. But yeah, they should all be uh, held accountable. They should be. And critics who took money should be fucking fired. Gary, my hump is people milking this episode because there's not much else going on. One streamer has posted 50 times about Ahsoka, and that has made me look at him very different. Yeah. It's just like, uh, you know, I like the lightsaber fights, and it seemed to move that story forward, the story that's happening. But it's just, yeah, it's just they're stretching out so much, it feels, you know? Mr. Wooter, of course, using my, look at this gif right here. That's when I shaved my head. This was right in the pandemic. Look at I only had three things on my wall. But that was when I shaved my head because all the uh, the barber shops and and everywhere were closed because of the pandemic. It was all ridiculous, and I tried to cut my own hair and it didn't work, and I shaved it all off. Anyways, hello Dave, did you watch One Piece on Netflix? I have not, but I've seen people praise it, so I never even knew what it was. I saw like the trailer and stuff, so I'll probably give it a shot down the road. The eight episodes is really good. And do you think the strike can affect other movies like Aquaman 2? Absolutely. And the Marvels? Absolutely. If the strike continues, where the actors who are popular names like Jason Momoa and Brie Larson and all that, if they can't promote it, that's definitely going to have an effect. I uh, rewatched Aquaman was really good. What, what your favorite scene 
from the movie. It's uh, of course when they're in the trench and you have that, you know, when Mira and and, uh, and Arthur are on the boat and they start getting, you know, basically, you know, piled on by the fucking trench. And then you see that shot with the flare and they're all going down. That is that whole scene is the best fucking scene in Aquaman. Just love that scene because it was showing it was like, hey, guess what? James Wan, he's a horror director. Look what he could do. And I wish they could do more stuff like that. Rational DC fan RT needs to be sued. Absolutely. I think it should. Why not? Or at least uh, the, you know, at least the critics who got paid off. Darkness under the wind. Dave, question number one. With Rotten Tomatoes exposed for fake reviews, is this truly the end of false praise bashing of movies and shows? Question two is, uh, well, again, I mean, I'm hoping that a majority of critics or like people out there are actually giving their authentic reviews and not being swayed by, you know, toys and goodies and trips to locations and whatnot. Question number two is WB losing money going to cause movies and shows involving CGI and VFX to have crappy quality, possibly flash level or worse. Ah, the flash wasn't that bad. And, you know, I'll keep on saying it because I had, I did talk to somebody who was on there. And it was like, well, you know, then the whole, uh, whatchamacallit, the chrono ball, that was a choice. That was a choice. But I know, you know, the corridor guys watched it and gave their critique of all that. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I hope not. And, I mean, you could, you just have to have filmmakers that could utilize the budget to their, to their, when it comes to Marvel, Marvel can't. Marvel seems to can't. They 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 want to just go so big, so big, so big. They don't know how to have like they just don't know how to utilize a budget. I mean, again, two hundred twelve million for Secret Invasion. What the fuck? But you have filmmakers that can use. I mean, look at Zach. I mean, again, you watch like, I mean, you watch 300 and you realize the budget in that was like, what, 30, 40 million. I mean, he, he, and even like when it comes to Rebel Moon, two Rebel Moon movies and the budget for both and how, and you know, that's not even like, if that was Disney, it would be like twice or three times as much. It feels like it seems like some studios with some product or some IPs don't know how to utilize a budget. Now, when it comes to James Gunn, he said on Rosenbaum's podcast that he always makes it a point to come in under budget, come under budget, which is good. And when he said that, that gave me some more faith in certain things when it came to. All right. Good. So when it comes to your Superman movie, you don't have to like go too crazy when it comes to all the VFX and whatnot. And then you know how to manage your budget. Seems like he's on top of that when it comes to his movies. So I was like, all right, well, that's good. The fact that he said that and he's, you know, DC studios, maybe they'll be able to be like, all right. Yeah. When we got somebody, we got a filmmaker who has a clear vision, who knows how to prioritize the budget. I mean, so, I mean, look at even Christopher Nolan, you know, he prioritized his budget when it came to Oppenheimer and that, and it, he utilized it to his advantage. And obviously it's paying off big time, but hopefully gun can be really taking that approach because I think that's one of the drawbacks of what's happening with Marvel Studios and even Disney right now is they're just their their budgets are getting outrageous and they're doing like these last minute changes and then their VFX are fucking suffering. So they got to stop doing that and hopefully 
Gunn saw that and realized that, okay, we can't do that over here. We really can't do that over here. Hey, what's going on, Ted? Blue Beetle VFX look good because it was smart. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, you look at Blue Beetle, talking about a $104 million budget. Um, and basically the VFX, I mean, they looked pretty damn good to me. You know, they looked really damn good, to be honest. I didn't really have a complaint when it came to, uh, there was like one shot that I thought looked awful, which was when they get into court industries and it like pans up and you see how tall the building is from the inside. Obviously that was entirely digital and it didn't look that great. I was like, wow, that looked like a shot that you would see in like the eighties. But then again, maybe that's what they were going for because like I said, it plays out like an eighties type of an adventure movie in my, in my opinion. But other than that, I thought the VFX looked great. I mean, look at the VFX in Man of Steel. I mean, obviously, that there was a lot. They had like, what, a $200 million budget for Man of Steel, or was it a little less? I don't know. But, I mean, I, there's just ways to cut down the budget. I mean, first off, don't get uh, an actor or actress that is just ridiculous and getting paid $25 million a fucking pop um, when, it, when it comes to... Um, you know, paying your act when it comes to paying like that much for a freaking salary, don't do that. And just concentrate on the visuals, concentrate on the storytelling. Again, you could, there's the, there's filmmakers out there like your Nolans and your Snyders and stuff like that, that know how to utilize the budgets. And hopefully that's what James Gunn is going to be going for when it came, when it comes to all that. Yeah, exactly. Jose Dwayne Johnson, we're talking to you, talking to you. It's like, like sometimes you just gotta like cut down, cut down the budget. But all right, guys, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Like I said, uh, members, we'll do our members only um, stream right after this. So look forward to this on your uh, on your your feed. And if you want to be a part of it and pick my brain a little bit more, then uh, yeah, become a member. You know, for the what two bucks or something like that. I don't know. Or if you know you want to subscribe and support the channel through Patreon, you can do that. You could do that. Try to put as you know extra content on there as well. But yeah, hit that like thumbs up. Make sure you're subscribed. Do all that. Uh, I know the Nun Two comes out. I didn't really like the first one. Most likely not going to the movies. I know, and I'm like getting like like an itchy feeling. Like I haven't been in the movies since Blue Beetle, to be honest. But I'll yeah, I'll make sure to go again. But I'm just. Yeah, when it comes to The Nun, too, I just didn't really like the first one. So probably pass on the movie tomorrow unless I just go like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go. But most likely not. So I'll see you guys on Friday for the Vodka stream. Um, and members, I'll see you guys in a little bit. All right, guys. Back to you later.